effectively you have this thought, this place where something's in your head, and then there's a place where it gets into your body, you know, and when it gets into your body, it becomes real. And that was the moment where the intellectual became physical to me, where I was like, oh my God, like I can touch this, I can see it, mm -hmm. um, it's real, and I can do this. Like this is something that I can do. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember the moment vividly. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Placemaking Podcast. I am pumped to share this conversation with all of you this week. There are so many great talking points on this one. There really is. I'll be sharing with all of you that have subscribed to the email list a copy of the show notes for free because there is so much in here. Ari is the founder and CEO of Rastigar Property Company located in Austin, Texas. Since forming Rastigar Property Company in 2015, his firm has successfully developed, redeveloped, and repositioned over 4.9 million square feet with properties in 12 states and 34 U.S. cities. Ari has earned a reputation as a thought leader in real estate with his pioneering investment strategies. He specializes in recession-resilient real assets and multifamily developments, building portfolios designed to lower risk and boost capital appreciation potential. Ari has frequented several publications such as Forbes, CBS, and even the Wall Street Journal. His firm is embarking on its first ground-up development project in Dallas, and it's not a small one by any stretch of the imagination. The development consists of a large, upscale, multifamily tower located on 0.45 acres near Victory Park in downtown Dallas. It's prime real estate. The architecture on this tower is truly spectacular, boasting the largest living wall in North America. I've included a link to a few of the articles that highlight this development in the description. In this episode, we're going to discuss how Ari got started in real estate development, certain principles he finds most important when developing properties, and loads of advice that he would give others that are looking to get into real estate development as well. As always, if you have enjoyed this show, I would ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with any of your friends. There will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, Ari. Thank you, buddy. Happy I'm to be here. Glad to have you on here. I am extremely honored to have you on this show. I gave a brief introduction for you before the show, so I'd like to just jump straight into a little bit more of the meat of the topic, if that works for you. Works great. Okay, perfect. So kind of just to get an idea of where it all began. You know, I've read quite a bit about your past, but if you could, for all the listeners, kind of give us a background of where you started in real estate and yeah. then we'll kind of work our way into where you are now. Absolutely. I've, I've always been enamored, you know, by buildings and, you know, my grandfather, you know, was, was a physician. Um, and I spent a lot of time with him, like in my summers and, you know, he loved, he was a student of history, loved architecture, you know, loved different buildings. And so I was very aware, you know, not knowing, you know, what real estate was per se, but just loving structure 
um, and seeing that something was not there than it was built. And then when it was built and created, it lasted this, you know, test of time. So, you know, we'd look at history books and I'd see these, you know, beautiful cathedrals, um, you know, the all the way from the pyramids, all the way to the, you know, the kind of epic architecture to just um, acknowledging skyscrapers in, you know, downtown Dallas, you know, and, and so I was aware of it and it was something I had an emotional attachment to um, because of my grandpa and I told him one day that I wanted to be a, a doctor and he said, no, one day, you know, you should own <laughs> buildings like this, you know, um, and uh, he passed away when I was in high school and I, it always just stayed in my mind and yeah. I was just very conscious of it and um, in law school, you know, it was my first year of law school in 2005, the markets were going completely Ooh. bonkers. Yeah. Um, good time. <laughs> yeah, good time. It was a great time. And where I went to law school in San Antonio, I lived a little bit north of the city and I would drive back and forth to school and I would just see these like little lots would say, you know, you know, for sale and then sold, you know, and then mm -hmm. I'd drive by a couple weeks sold. And I just had this impetus that, that it was time to do something. So I scraped up, you know, my scholarship money, uh, borrowed about 3000 bucks from a friend of mine's father that I went to college with and um, contacted the guy's name that I saw in most of these little houses and right. went to their office and um, said, hey, look, I, you know, I have some money. I looked at the price of this, you know, this land here. And, you know, if I buy the land and I put up a little bit of the money, maybe you can build it and we can be partners. Uh -huh. And that kind of 50-50 partnership um, is how it started. And we built one and we sold it, you know, really quickly, these little $80,000 interim construction loans selling for 110, 115 and did two. And then somewhere in the second one, being on site every morning and watching this thing just be created, like looking at a piece of land and then watching the trees kind of get cleared and then looking at these plans and envisioning it and then watching it come to life. I was hooked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, had the opportunity to go to New York City um, after law school and work with you know some some of the greatest minds in our business that kind of serendipitously I fell in the hands of and um, kind of jump started to the commercial side, understanding the finance world. And you know about six years ago, after spending my time you know very various facets on Wall Street, you know we'd had our second child, Kelly and I, and uh -huh. uh, I'm born in Austin, raised in Austin, and. You know, the fundamentals here are incredible. Sure. It's a city that we love and we see the growth of where it's going. Google Fiber had just announced that they were going to put a billion dollars of infrastructure um, into the city. And I kind of figured if the biggest data company you know, in the world is, is putting, is picking Austin as, you know, it's really its beta case, you know, there's something here and um, it's a place that I wanted to raise my kids. So um, we came back down to Texas and I'm working on it ever since. That's awesome. Did you, you mentioned earlier, that could have been an architect or you, you might have been interested in that. Yeah. Why did you, um, go, why did you well, go the route you went? Well, I don't think I'm smart enough to, or you know, to, to, to have been an architect. Um, I've, uh, I was a liberal arts major in undergrad um, and obviously an attorney by trade. And, you know, my joy and my core competency came in reading, you know, and okay. came, came in the philosophy and the vision. I really love the human interaction. Like I love meeting with the people, the vendors, you know, the clients, like all mm -hmm. the various people and helping, you know, really pull together a collective vision. That's really what I love. Um, and an architect is kind of one piece of that. And I don't know if I have the patience to sit down there and have the meticulous attention to detail um, gotcha. that, our, that our architects have and they're the best in the world. I mean, they're unreal. They, 
amaze me every single day. Uh, <laughs> but I kind of knew, I knew what I was kind of okay at. And I knew what I sucked at. And so that kind of drew me in that direction. But, you know, the study of law, you know, is really powerful because um, not to say that I was some good lawyer by any stretch of the imagination, but real estate is a contract game. You know, mm -hmm. everything is a contract, right? And, you know, buyer, seller, you know, financing, you know, all these different components are, are legal mechanisms. And so having a broad-based understanding of what those mechanisms are have been really effective in speaking with our counsel and speaking, looking at these things, not to say that I'm working in the minutia, but mm -hmm. understanding, you know, having a backbone of, you know, philosophically what this means, understanding the risk factors, um, understanding, you know, the potential liabilities, um, I think has been, you know, very powerful to help us grow this business. Those are great points. Do you think, was that your goal with going into law? Was No, it was my father's goal. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, I, you know, I thought that I was not even going to go to college. You know, I thought that um, I've always been able to do the math in my head and, you know, I just really wanted to read books. So I was kind of a nerd and, and I thought that maybe I'll just become a real estate broker and I'll sell things and I'll work my way up and, you know, maybe I'll get to own a couple houses. And, you know, and I, I saw that path and my father's mm -hmm. like, no, nah, you're going to school. And then um, he's, he's an attorney as well. And he's like, no, well, you're going to go to law school. I was like, I don't want to go to law school. He goes, I'm a lawyer. You can be an exotic dancer for all I care. And so, <laughs> <and> so, wow. <laughs> yeah, those are an exact quote. So I was in law out of sheer fear of my, uh, my father. He was a <laughs> That's interesting. Well, hey, it, it got you there and, it, and some of that, uh, like you said, some of that background has really helped you out. So is that, and we'll, we'll come back to this here in a little bit because I always like to hear what people are reading. So I'll give you a little time to think about some books that you want to sure. recommend. But I'm reading, uh, reading, a lot, reading a lot of them. I'm, books, are, uh, books are what I love. I'll tell you a funny story. So yeah. our daughter, Victoria, who's our oldest, she's seven now, um, they asked her in school, I want to say, I think it was this. I think it was this past year. It might have been the year before, but they were. Um, they asked her, you know, you know, what is what do your parents do for a living? You know, it was kind of this topic. And uh, obviously, I know her teacher very well. And she said, "Oh, my my daddy's a reader." <laughs> the teacher's like, "No, I I think your father. You know, I know your father. I don't." She's like, "No, no, no. He's my daddy's a reader. He a professional he, reader." I ask him, "What is what does he do? What are you doing?" He said, "He's working." So. <laughs> so, so daughter uh, I was pretty sure that that's what I do for a living is read books so that's another awesome interview question <laughs> what do your kids think you do or if you were to describe yeah my kids think I, I read and talk on the phone <laughs> I think I think that's what they're pretty convinced that I do and I, I guess they're not wrong right yeah and I, I try to get as many as I can in but it's it's tough I mean you got a lot going on so. I do but but <laughs> it, it's funny that's the fuel you know, it's, it's, it's not, I don't bifurcate that, you know, reading from my work. You know, um, there's many times that I'm sitting in the office on a Monday at 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting in the conference room, you know, reading a book or, you know, it's, you have to grow, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to contribute. Cause to me, you know, life is about growth and contribution. You know, that's what it all comes down to. So in order for me to grow, um, I have to learn and I have to come out of this comfort zone and I have to put myself in that situation. And I think reading a book, it has different sensory inputs. Like it caught, you have to touch, you have to hold, you have to look, you have to underline. And when you include all of those elements, 
you know, you have different neurological activators. And for me, you know, that's how, how I stay fresh, you know, finding new skills, challenging myself, going outside the box, um, and reading just different things. Being a student of history, Mark, you know, Mark Twain said it best that um, history doesn't repeat itself, but it damn sure does rhyme. <laughs> I you know, love it. so yeah, and so making sure that you know I have those things um, at my fingertips is important, and you know, making sure I'm feeding every you know every element: the mental, the spiritual, the physical. You know, because the more that you know, the more robust that I can be, the more I can contribute. Awesome. I was actually going to get to that question later is with all your work going on, how do you find the time to continue to learn? And like you said, it's, it's a big part of what you do. And what, game. Yeah. That so, is the work that I think that's the, I think it's the line of questioning is a little bit. It's that is the work. That's the work. You gotcha. know, reading is the work. Learning is the work, you know, and then implementing, learning, implementing, failing, failing forward and doing it again, you know, right. and doing it again. Um, you know, Winston Churchill would say that um, success is moving from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. You know, and the only way you can fail properly is if you're implementing a new system or you're implementing something different. That you can uh, learn from. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's kind of, we'll get back to kind of your day to day, but kind of get back to when you started real estate and, and when you really thought it sounded like the time that, you know, when you're sitting there on site and you're seeing those tangible assets going up, that was really when it kind of sparked the interest. Is that, that was the moment where it became like, cause you go through phases, right? You intellectualize something first and you have this vision or you have this thought in your head of what something could be. And there's, um, so I really like Tony Robbins a lot and I've been, you know, to a lot of his seminars and I have my own, you know, life coach that I work with who's been mission critical to, um, you know, helping me, you know, grow and, you know, stay on top of my things. She runs a company called the Handel Group. Okay. Um, just phenomenal. If you ever get a chance to look it up, it's just, I think it's the great, best life coaching in the world, um, the system that they built and, you know, anybody can call and be a part of it. They have an online course um, called Inner You that you can take. Wow. That's, that's profound. Um, you know, but effectively you have this thought, this place where something's in your head and then there's a place where it gets into your body, you know, and when it gets into your body, it becomes real. And that was the moment where the intellectual became physical to me, where I was like, Oh my God, like I can touch this. I can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real. And I can do this. Like, this is something that I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the moment vividly. Right. And then from there, the rest is history, right? <laughs> rest is history. Um, you know, the rest is history. And there was a, there was a long, 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 arduous road um, in between um, a lot of learning and a lot of changes because real estate is such a broad term, right? It's mm-hmm. like you can be, you know, um, a real estate broker, or you can be a residential broker, you could be a commercial broker, you could be an owner operator, you could be a multifamily, you could be a retail. I mean, it's like, it's so broad. And so yeah. I started my, uh, you know, my jump into like the deeper you get into a topic, the more you realize you don't know shit. <laughs> yeah, right? the more questions you have, right? Yeah, because at the beginning, you're like, oh, it's real estate. Well, it's just, it's just real estate. And you feel like you know everything. Then you're like, oh my God, like the minutiae, you know, like the deeper you get into, imagine you start learning, you know, physics and you take physics one, you're like, okay, but you're like, oh my God, there's so much more that I'll never know. Right. That's the journey. Gotcha. So you went to law school all this time. Well, what, two years into law school, you started... Kind first of year. really ramping up first year. Okay. First year, yeah, first year ramped up. 
on the second year. And then 2007 happened. Wasn't that nice? Ooh, yeah. Yes, 2007, yeah. 2008 happened. And I thought I was going to you know, sell my portfolio and to me be a, what I thought was a very wealthy man and uh, ended up having good credit and paying back my investors and having a really nice hat just in my hand. Just yeah. So um, it was a, the first lesson and, you know, kind of getting kicked in the fucking teeth and, right. you know, it's a bittersweet feeling. <laughs> so after 2007, 2008, you kind of regrouped and uh, got back in. Well, when, when did you start back up? Really... Um, so, so I kind of took a little bit of sabbatical uh, mm-hmm. for a couple of years, trying to, you know, just get my life back together um, and kind of figure out how to make kind of ends meet. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working for a big real estate guy in New York that owned a bunch of businesses and kind of helped him in some of the entertainment things that he, he wanted to do that seemed kind of fun. Um, also helping with some you know, personal real estate stuff. And um, the world was really at a standstill, you know, for many, many years in that sector. And then I got back into it, I want to say 2010, you know, 2010, um, 11, I started really, you know, getting back into real estate, working for a group that were doing some amazing hospitality things. They had bought the Chelsea Hotel in New York, um, opened up a surf lodge in Montauk, which is obviously an iconic um, yeah. kind of destination resort. And, um, and I was kind of back there and, you know, it was a total different side of the business from residential development, uh-huh. you know, Spring Branch, Texas. Uh, um, but you know, I knew it was my destiny and I knew that's what I had to do. And, um, you know, and it's, uh, it kind of iterated from there. Gotcha. Well, uh, you know, one of your biggest developments that's coming online here in the DFW area, is it, it's your first one in DFW, right? Oh yeah. It's, it's the biggest, I mean, it's for, I mean, it's really the first, major development we've ever done i mean yeah. you know it's you know and we we sure picked a big one to start with right <laughs> <laughs> might as well right fail big right yeah, yeah uh, you, uh, you go. now we're gonna bring in a big partner for this one like this this one um we're gonna definitely bring in one of the big big shops with you know with all the experience to help us and we're gonna come along for the ride like this is not one that um uh, you know <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna take this one on our own all right. So the, it's the 1899 McKinney yeah. building. It's an interesting site. Definitely a, a difficult one. Uh, Very. Right. Well, they don't, you know, look, it's Park Avenue of Dallas. You know, they're not giving guys like me the perfect rectangle three acre <laughs> site fully entitled. Like, you know, right. uh, we get the, the triangle with the 12 foot grade drop and, um, you know, having to go through a massive zoning change, which, you know, we went through and, finished our entitlements um, at the end of March. We got a very large variance uh, to do what we want. Um, some more of the tune of like, we could build, I think like 90,000 feet and now we're at like almost 500,000 feet. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so we got, you know, increased height and look, it, it was a very collaborative thing with the city and with our neighbors. And so it was great for them, great for us. So it wasn't right. some, you know, uh, you know, some ask for us to do something that was just purely profiteering. It was, it's very much, um, with this living wall, with, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of beautiful park that we're contributing. Um, you know, it's something that's just so good for the city. It's increasing walkability. Um, it's, you know, um, illuminating this green space. And it's very much a nexus piece, um, you know, for this uptown corridor to, fl- to flourish. So it's something right. that we're so excited about because, you know, for me, 
you know, this is all for my kids. Kelly and I both like, you know, we love what we do. We like the exercise, but, um, you know, her family a generation ago was living on dirt floors. You know, my family wow. came here after the Iranian revolution and kind of started over from scratch. So, you know, we love our life. I mean, so yeah. this is, you know, it has to have meaning. It has to mean something and it has to be, you know, beyond. And if you create value, you make money. I mean, making money is great. We want sure. our investors to make a bunch of money and, you know, all the, all the like, um, but it has to have a lot of meaning. And, um, and that's what this project has. Right. And it's an amazing, amazingly beautiful project. Um, yeah, so SCB, um, architecture firm out of Chicago, Miss um, Clara Weinberg, who's the partner overseeing the project, you know, her team has just done a spectacular job. I mean, just right. absolute um, spectacular job envisioning this, figuring out a tight space, um, using the geography and the topography to our benefit of how we do the parking and how the loading comes and um, using it as a response. The building itself, it was actually modeled after a tree. So if you look at the curvature of the building and you look at the metal spokes, those are supposed to resemble branches and the living wall is supposed to be the leaves and the greenery. Um, mm -hmm. because the mandate was to bring green to this area that's predominantly a concrete jungle. And by you know, using that response to the land, I think it's just architecture at its finest. I mean, just, it's yeah. such a, it's a beautiful response to the topography. It answers, you know, the critical questions of the corridor and it's, uh, it's going to be a pretty valuable one. Oh see. man. It's, it's amazing. It's the, uh, largest living yes. wall in North it's America. Large, it's the large, it'll be the largest living wall in North America. Mm -hmm. Um, that's news to us. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, one of the, the vendor that we're working with on it was the one that told us we didn't set out to do that by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but yeah, it, it all came together and it's just, um, just really beautiful when you have that level of synchronicity. So getting back to that, the, uh, and I think I already know the, the answer to this question, but how important do you believe design is in real estate when creating memorable it's critical. Yeah, it's pretty critical. It's how we look at all the ancient cultures, look at the feng shui, look at this, the Pachaveda um, of the Vedic Indian tradition. The ancients have understood design, you know, for thousands of years, we understand that we are influenced by our design, you mm -hmm. know, how we, you know, exist in the world. Um, our vantage points are, you know, very much response to design, you know, and it's, um, you know, it's not a new thing. It's a very, it's very important to understand that. And we now know it from a internal design standpoint, uh, productivity of employees and staffing and offices, um, you know, the ambiance, the feeling you get in certain restaurants that are designed a certain way with the right lighting, it, it, it elicits a visceral response. And it's, uh, it's, it's an art, it's an art. And, but there's also a science to it. I mean, there's an art, but there's also a science how that works and you know when you marry the two together um, in a profound way um, you get a profound result mm -hmm. it's amazing the uh that just seeing the rendering like you said it, it elicits that kind of a response in, in most people that see it it's different right. unique and just seeing that greenery is it's refreshing for that area because like you said it it's it's a concrete jungle it's it's tough out there to and and a lot of people miss that that green space and uh you're luckily it's in a good spot you know clyde warren park nearby and and the walkability like yeah 
in the Cuddy Trail. So they call, they're calling that corridor uh, the Emerald Bracelet, mm-hmm. which I thought was just a beautiful term. And, you know, we're kind of a class right there on the Emerald Bracelet, um, you know, that marries the whole piece together. And um, people, are, people are starving for these things. And, mm-hmm. you know, this building, as a response to the pandemic, you know, there's a lot of health mechanisms that we're installing in the building. Like we're experimenting with uh, copper buttons or, t- or a lot of touchless pieces. Basically, you're touching using copper because copper has a inherent antimicrobial factor. So mm-hmm. virus bacteria cannot live on that surface for very long as opposed to stainless steel, which a lot of us think is very clean. Um, you know, it actually, you know, viruses, bacteria can live on it for days if not yeah. clean properly, unlike copper. And uh, thinking through the lighting mechanisms, thinking through the common areas, um, using things as much touchless as we can. Um, and, you know, my goal would be to make this, you know, the healthiest building in America when it's done um, so people can feel safe. You know, right. people can feel that, you know, home is a, is a sanctuary and we'll be, um, we're putting in a lot of, you know, time and energy to, to innovate and be responsive to, you know, what this pandemic has taught us. That's interesting. Do you think this whole event has helped to kind of change or modify the plans to maybe make this yeah, an even more uh, impressive building? Or yeah, is it, absolutely, it, no, absolutely, it has because it's it's making us ask better questions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's asking different questions and looking at things through a different hourglass. And um, you know, that's. Um, that of course is going to foster innovation and it's going to foster, um, you know, more growth and um, it poses its challenges like it does for anybody, you know, um, at this cycle, you know, where we are from a financing mechanism, it makes financing a little bit more difficult, um, you know, which means that you have to really sharpen your pencils, you know, and really make sure that um, you're building the right thing, your underwriting is strong. And so it's forced us to go back to the drawing board and get smarter you know, mm-hmm. ask different questions and make sure that we're creating value where we need to create value and um, value engineering where we need to value engineer. Yeah, those are great points. And kind of coming from that and what you're saying here, all this is great advice. And so this should be an easy transition into what kind of advice you would give for uh, someone just starting out or, or maybe they're in maybe they're in an analyst role or something like that, but maybe would like to get into more of a ground up or even just an adaptive reuse or acquisition and flip like you, you've done in the past. And kind of what kind of advice would you give somebody that's looking? Yeah. Um, you know, look, um, first I, I mean, I have my, you know, Tony talks about this thing. If you give people advice, you have to start it with my hallucination, right? So like my hallucination for somebody else because, you know, who am I to kind of give them advice, right? Um, sure. if, you, if you have a dream and you have something you're going to do, you know, forget about anything that I say, you know, go out there and fucking make it happen. But, you know, look, I think that development just by nature is a very complicated piece. And, you know, I think that understanding existing assets first and understanding, you know, whether it's renovations, value add first, I think is a, is a great place to start. Um, so if you look at apartments at the, at, as an example, this is a, you know, multifamily condominium building, you know, obviously. Um, but I would look at, you know, just smaller projects, you know, that you can wrap your head around, look at existing apartments, if you like apartments, um, 
and figure out how the renovations are going to work, figure out how to create value, do that research, understand, you know, what, you know, if you renovated the product, you put a new countertops and new cabinets and, you know, simplify the process, you know, and once you wrap your head around that, you understand those pieces, it's going to really open up the rabbit hole to all these other mechanisms to where when you do venture into development, you know, you've had a crawl, walk, run experience into what that stuff could look like. And then when you move into development, it's not overwhelming because there's so many moving parts. There's so many components, so many pieces that it can be discouraging mm -hmm. um, if you haven't built up that requisite you know, knowledge and experience in something which is still very difficult, mm -hmm. um, deceptively you know, simple yet difficult. Um, and then move, you know, move into that arena um, and you know, take your time to learn it and understand it and make sure that you have a real passion for it because you know, the tediousness and the difficulty um, is dramatically more than people appreciate to where you really have to have a calling and you really have to have a why. Um, you wanna do that to get you through some of those you know, tedious things because they call it work for a reason. Mm. You know, fucking work. <laughs> fun is fun, work is work, but um, yeah, so I think that's, um, I think that would be um, the way I'd look at it. Yeah, essentially boiling down to learning as much as you can, but you got to start somewhere. I mean, yes, you start yeah. with existing assets, you know, mm -hmm. start with, you know, you know, if you're starting out, maybe find a individual unit, find a condominium that you want to, you know, you want to work on, bring some friends and family into it, renovate it, do the work yourself. You know, I learned so much being on the build side. I don't really throw a hammer you know, anymore. Our folks are way better than me, but you know, I was on the build side every day, you know, mm -hmm. I was, you know, I wasn't necessarily as skilled as some of these guys, but I was there, you know, you're moving stuff and you're, um, you know, you're in the process and you're watching, you know, how the sausage is made effectively. And I think there's, there's a profound amount to be learned there, not necessarily from learning how to do the electrical on the building, but just seeing what's it behind the curtain, like watching all these pieces and, and respecting the process mm -hmm. and, you know, understanding those things. So when you go to envision what your role is going to be, you kind of have some ingredients that you can create that vision. Yeah, that's great. You mentioned finding your why, which I also think is very important. And I think I already know your why, but because you mentioned it previously, you mentioned that, you know, building that legacy is kind of, kind of one, one part of your why. Is it, is it the major part or is there other pieces to that? Uh, I mean, my why is, yeah, you, you picked up on it very much. My why is, is the legacy piece is doing something for my children, doing something for our family. Um, and not necessarily that I would stifle them into doing what I do, but, um, you know, having something that they can see, we put our name on the door, um, you know, so they can, you know, see something be created and be mm -hmm. something, something be built. Um, but I need to build things like it's part, it's in my DNA to build something. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that it would just be only in real estate. It could be building companies. It could be, you know, building Legos with my kids. It could be, um, you know, writing a, writing a screenplay. It doesn't matter, but like creating a vision and building something is in my DNA. Mm -hmm. And that is the driving force for me is to create something that wasn't there that can last, whether it's through a beautiful conversation, whether it's through, you know, leadership stuff with my team, whether it's through exercising and creating, you know, physique, 
but just creating something is is what my you know what I'm drawn to. I love it. I'm an engineer, so I completely understand. Get it. Uh, yeah, but uh, the the more creative stuff, it, it takes me a little more work. So the screenplay is not. Hey, the engineering future, stuff but... takes me a lot of work too, but so, <laughs> so, so I assure you, we don't uh, we don't get all of it. You got to play the cards you're dealt, right? That's right. That's right. So what's a, what's a piece of advice that somebody's given you in the past that you, is it just stuck in your brain and, and maybe, maybe don't think about it every day, but you know, it's, it's on your mind. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that understanding your inner dialogue, you know, um, I've had, look, I've been very blessed to have some unbelievable mentors I mean, in every area of life that um, have come come into my life that I'm profoundly grateful for, uh, from mental, spiritual, physical, um, that I've been able to emulate, learn from. So I've been profoundly blessed in that area. Um, but I find that knowing myself, you know, and watching my inner dialogue and watching what I say to myself um, and making sure that those thoughts and that dialogue is elevated, mm-hmm. you know, is focused on the right things, you know, cause we all have those stress talk. We all have those worst case scenarios that we think about, but just catching it and knowing what it is and letting your higher self dictate. No, we're not going to do that. I'm going to focus on this or, you know, I'm stressed out about this and I'm not missing out and hanging out with my kids. No, I'm going to be here and hang out with my kids. And, and just con- knowing that you can kind of control that dialogue and you can stop it in its tracks or you can, you know, foster a thought in the right direction from a visioning standpoint of where you want to go. And because when I find when you do that and you're in that space, it's a cornerstone habit that lets some of the other stuff become a little bit more effortless. Wow. That's, that's a tough one. That's the one, but yeah, that's the, you said it, the cornerstone, you know, it's, it's tough to, to, like you said, to control your subconscious and and make it conscious. It's, it's, Look, nothing in life that I've found that's worth doing is easy. Nothing, not one thing that I've found that it's actually fucking worth it is easy. Yeah. It's all hard. I mean, like, it's all hard. It's whether it's parenting, whether it's building a business, whether it's watching what you eat consistently or foam rolling, or, you know, it's like, it's fucking hard. And you have to lean into that because, you know, in, you have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. I love it. I love that uh, quote so, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, cliches are cliches for a reason, right? Right. Right. So what is, uh, you said embrace this, this, uh, this toughness. So what, what does the day in the life of Ari look like with all of these stressful stressors? Uh, you know, you've got a business, you've got a family, you're trying to, keep yourself healthy. What does that look like? And I've already, I've already seen that you've got a pretty intense health regimen and I'm a a fitness guy myself, but I don't, I don't know. I, I pale in comparison, I think. (laughs) Uh, It's not, it's all, it's all relative. Um, You know, it, it changes. Like I'm not one of those people um, that has a very strict um, everyday ritual Um, you know, I have a bucket of the things that I draw from, like, so if it's a recovery, you know, there's a bunch of these different modalities that I touch, whether it's hyperbaric chambers or, um, you know, my light bed or, um, you know, 
stretching, massage, chiropractic, you know, all, so I have these like different things and I'm responsive to myself. You know, um, I'm going to have vigorous exercise. You know, I'm going to take my vitamins. I'm going to make sure that my hormones are balanced. Um, I'm going to find a time to meditate two times a day. And I'm going to work on my business um, with relentlessness. You know, there's a book that I'd love everybody to read um, called Relentless. And mm -hmm. it's written by a man named Tim Grover. I don't know if you've read it, um, mm -hmm. but it's... It's a very appropriate book for right now because, you know, one of the, 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 the subheading is going from good to great to unstoppable, you know, and Tim Grover was Michael Jordan's personal trainer, you know, for about 15 years. And after working with Michael, he worked with Kobe Bryant for his entire career. Um, also worked with Dwayne Wade, but with, you know, and several other people, but his main clients were Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. <clears throat> and he tells these stories about, you know, how, how they operate, you know, and how, how they thought and, you know, this you know, unbelievable grit and focus um, is really, you know, really what it, what it takes. And, um, you know, it's not about hours. It's not about anything of that stuff. It has to be your life. And this is my life, mm -hmm. you know, and so 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'm doing something, you know, but there's pillars, right? There's a essence of my meditation practice. Um, I do this um, a posture management exercise every day that works on the symmetry of physiology. I'm making sure the body physically is actually symmetrical. Aligned, um, yeah. Yeah, it's aligned, uh, vigorous exercise, eating whole foods, you know, and, and those, those are the cornerstones, you know, those are the cornerstones. I'm very fortunate. I work with a lot of people that I love and, um, so my personal life and my business life are very much merged together. Um, so I get those moments of reprieve with my team, um, you know, and working with my colleagues that are an extension of our family. Um, but it's, um, you know, most days I'm up at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm at it for the moment that I wake up. Um, but then there's days like today when I'm fucking tired that, you know, I still <laughs> sleep till late 30. Right. So, um, I'm not a machine, you know, I'm a human and I got to be responsive to my body and listen to my body and listen to my mind. And Wow. That's yeah. I like, I like having not just a set ritual, but having buckets essentially that you got to fill, yeah. you know, you, you know, you have to have exercise. It doesn't necessarily matter I, I when you do it. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. Or what you do, maybe you're, you're, you're running or maybe, you know, you're on the treadmill. Maybe you're just, you know, going on a walk with your, it's, but I, I kind of know those inherent, um, you know, those pieces that need to be, be worked on and, you know, you fill them in different ways and that's where you get variety too. You know, that's mm -hmm. where you, you know, don't get as bored. Um, there's a lot of folks that are, you know, that are much more kind of disciplined than I am in that regard. I like to try new things too. You know, my wife always gets on me about buying new toys, you know, <laughs> help toys and some random shits in the mail, you know, every day, some, <laughs> you know, you know, glasses that are blocking blue light or all the way to, you know, sleep apps. I got this, bought this little uh, ring the other day called the Aurora that um, you wear when you're sleeping. And it has like this unbelievable like sensor that tracks like your deep sleep and your restful states. And, um, you know, just, just being curious. Man, I, you know, after this conversation, we might have to talk about that. I'm so interested. I guess you've probably already read Longevity Paradox, Lifespan. You know what you should read, dude? You should read um, Transcend by Ray Kurzweil. 
transcends. Yeah, I've not read Ray, that one. It's great. Uh, Ray Kurzweil. Um, you know what? Another book I've been reading recently that is just spectacular. It's a little bit out there and not really in my core competency, but it's been wonderful to learn a little different side. It's called Becoming Supernatural. Um, okay. by a guy named Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's phenomenal, phenomenal book. Transcend is great. You know, for health, I would recommend a book called Defy Aging, okay. which I think is the best book written on health probably in 50 years uh, by a man named Dr. Jacob Rosenstein. Okay. And yeah. I've heard the he, name. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's an alien to me. I mean, he's just, <laughs> You, know, I, you think I, I got my shit straight. I mean, this guy is just, you know, he's in his mid-60s and um, has been a neurosurgeon, you know, for almost 40 years and 14,000 surgeries later. And, you know, he came up with this protocol. He has some patented vitamins that he's created. Um, and I'm actually on his, you know, kind of age management protocol. And um, he, has a, um, he has a product called Vita Years. Okay. You, can, you can buy on Amazon. It's a multivitamin. There's a sleep. Um, there's a sleep product. He's a bunch of other products he's formulating, but I think he's at the best in the world. I mean, he understands this stuff. He makes it simple, um, but you know, he breaks the things down from how to keep your health in order. And if there was one book that I had to recommend from a health standpoint, it would be Defy Aging, no question. Huh. That sounds similar to uh, Lifespan. They talk on um, you know preserving your your DNA, your telomeres, like your... Oh, yeah. No, he's yeah. all into that. So we yeah. I get our telomeres tested, you know, probably every nine months, food sensitivity tests, um, you know, the whole nine yards. And what you'll find, man, is, you know, I'm, I'm a student of, um, of greatness, you know, whatever that means. Um, anybody that's been great in their field, I'm interested, you know, mm -hmm. in what they've done and how they got there. And um, whether it's athletes, whether it's uh, scientists, celebrity, you name it. If you're, if you're great, I'm interested. Right. Yeah. Um, and what you find is a lot of these great CEOs are more health conscious than they've ever been. Huh. I mean, you look at Larry Ellison, who is, you know, the fifth richest man in the world, um, you know, mid seventies or late seventies now. I mean, he's a health freak. I mean, he <laughs> bought uh, Lanai Island, um, which is about an hour boat ride from Maui. And he's creating this massive, you know, health experiment there using data, using analytics and um, exercises vigorously. Look at Richard Branson. Like, I mean, all these like, you know, these great people, like they're so driven by health. And that was not before, like before you have this right. like, fat cat mentality of drinking booze and, you know, gaining weight and, you know, all these things. But I think in this generation, some of the greatest, and look at Jeff Bezos. I mean, if you look at him, you know, when he started Amazon, you know, he was, you know, look frail, you know, weak. Yeah. And now he's like this you know, like, yeah, <laughs> like, great shape, skin vibrant, um, you know, running, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world. So I think oh. that's uh, very much is uh, becoming a core value. Yeah. I love it. I love it. it I mean, cause so much of it, it's, it's similar in that it's a cornerstone, I believe too. You don't too. have it. You don't have anything else, bro. Yeah. You can't do anything else. You don't have your health. You don't have shit. I mean, it's that, it's that simple, you know, if you don't have it and it's, you know, you got to have your health and so much of, you know, this COVID pandemic, um, the people that have been, you know, most susceptible have had comorbidity issues. They've had hypertension, diabetes, um, been obese, um, mm -hmm. different other pre-existing conditions. And they're the ones that have really been brutalized the most. And, 
you know, a lot of those issues, of course, there's genetics, and of course, there's issues that, you know, that are uncontrollable, and I'm very sensitive to that. Um, but in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of that is preventable, you know, mm -hmm. how we're eating and how you're moving and um, how you're adjusting. And so um, very much know, lifestyle. It's very much lifestyle. Yeah. There's so much of it that's preventable. And Dr. Rosenstein goes into it in this book pretty extensively. And even from an epigenetic standpoint, we're seeing how, you know, cells or DNA can be turned on and off by different lifestyle choices. And, you know, I think it's, um, it's important now more than ever to be very conscious of those things because we're seeing how precious health is. We're seeing how, you know, a, you know, a virus or basically, you know, a, you know, an antagonist to your immune system is shutting down the world. So what does that mean for health? What does that mean for how important it is of how we eat and how we live and so that the rest of the things are even possible? That's awesome. We covered it all in this, in this 45 did. minutes right here. Good and, 45 uh, minutes. <laughs> Ari, I, I really appreciate your time. And again, I'm honored that you were able to come on the show and um, I look forward to seeing yeah, man, I'd love to have you down in Austin too. If you, uh, when the world opens up, you have a standing <laughs> invitation here at uh, here at Rastigar HQ. That's awesome. <laughs> we have a great day, man. Thanks so much. All right, you too. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye, -bye.